Welcome to this week's podcast. My name is Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. In light of COVID-19, our regularly scheduled 9 and 11 a.m. Sunday services are currently suspended. During this time, we will live stream our 11 a.m. Sunday morning service and plan to offer other online connection points throughout the week. You can find us on Facebook or visit www.rockpoint.org for more information, including important schedule updates. Well, good morning and uh, glad that you have joined us here today. Um, We are continuing into a series studying the book of Psalms. And before we dive into that today, um, we do have a little bit of a response from the survey we put out. And as Mickey mentioned earlier, in case you missed it, if you haven't responded to that, we'd appreciate it if you did. We're looking at uh, having an outdoor gathering here relatively soon. Um, but one of the indicators, early indicators of the survey, and it's anonymous, incidentally, is that well over 97% of you um, are actually viewing the live stream and engaging. Um, that's great for a number of reasons. Uh, some of the studies have shown that in a lot of the churches, the majority of churches, um, only about 25% of people are actually engaging uh, in their live stream. So I appreciate that you're being part of this, that we continue to fellowship in this fashion and in this way. Looking at the 130th Psalm today, and we're not going to be lengthy. It's a beautiful day out, and I know that you want to get out and run around a lot now that there's been some of the restrictions lifted at least a bit. Um, this Psalm, the 130th, is one that in some Jewish congregations is set on every weekday. It's one of those psalms that is recited particularly in times of communal distress. In times when the community is in distress. This is a heart cry out to God. It's marked by a stark awareness of sin and a very powerful assurance of forgiveness. Um, it's listed in some places, it's referred to in the Latin term, de profundis, de profundis, which means from the depths or out of the depths. And this is actually how uh, this uh, psalm begins. And so let's take a look at this together in a little bit of time we have here. Psalm 130, the very first Uh, And second verse, out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. Um, The translation on this is, uh, is such that there's a crying out to God very personally, both in who he is as our Lord, as, as our creator, if you will, but also as our master. And there's a sense that the person is, is crying out from a, a place of, of deep despair or sense of loss or, or some dark cavern. And I'll go into that a little bit later. I want to expand on that a bit. But let's just start with that. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive uh, to my cry for mercy. I think a lot of us in this season of time have felt in that deep place and a crying out to God. And the question is, does he hear us when we cry out? The writer goes on and it says this, if you keep, if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? 
but with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. The term record means literally to kind of keep watch or, or mark or, or record, to take account or retain in remembrance. And it actually means it in order to punish. So in other words, if you kept a record of sins, if you were marking this down in a book for the purposes of punishing us, which of us could stand? Now, here's the thing. God remembers everything. There's nothing that he doesn't lose track of. He's aware of all of it. But this specific thing is talking about keeping it recorded in a way to punish. And what this passage is saying here is that he doesn't record it for that purpose. And the who could stand section is basically a a judicial um, phrase. It talks about a person being absolved or justified. um, And it's opposed to the idea of falling. And so if, if, a, if an argument stands, then it's legitimate. If it falls, it wasn't uh, a proper statement. If a person in a judicial situation stands and, and is freed or is judged to be uh, innocent, then they stand free. If not, they fall. And so this is talking about the idea of God's grace for us. And then it goes on and says, but, you there, but with you there is forgiveness. And that's kind of an important line here you need to focus on for just a minute. I don't know if they can put the scripture back up for a second. If you can, I want to kind of draw your attention to something. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, if you recorded things to the purposes of, a, of, of punishing us, which of us could stand? Now, now keep, the, keep the scripture up there for a minute because I want you to look at that. Which one of us? There's nobody else. All of us have sinned, the scripture says, and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have failed at one time or another. Even in quarantine, we find ways to fail. Um, it's interesting, the term quarantine, incidentally, comes from, from uh, an Italian word meaning 40. And it was one of the original methods of, of isolating a ship. Uh, I think it came out of Venice originally in Italy, uh, and it was kept for 40 days. And I'm not sure exactly why, but some of the locations are that they drew from some of the biblical elements. There was 40 days of temptation of Christ, 40 days in the desert, 40 days of, of this and that, and all these times of waiting for 40 days. And so there's an interesting thing that some of that was linked spiritually, that some of that was linked spiritually to that time of waiting. And so, uh, again, with having that scripture put back up one more time, if you all will, and I, 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 they're good about keeping it out so I can see you all. But, but for this one, I want you to pay attention. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? Not one of us. And so if we're just left with that line, what a mess it would be. <sighs> There's nobody. Whether it's somebody who's an oppressed or an oppressor, anywhere in that line. But notice this. There is a very huge but in here. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? But, but with you, there's forgiveness. So that we can, with reverence, serve you. Another phrase says, with fear. And Parvit says that his awesome forgiveness is so awesome that it terrifies us. And so we couldn't stand because of our sin, not one of us. But there is this forgiveness. That, that but is huge, and it reminds me a little bit of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, where Paul is talking about us being dead in our sins, and then he says, but, so we're dead in our sins, but 
because of his great love for us, but because we are such outstanding human beings, but because we're beautiful people, but, no, it's but because of his great love for us. Total and complete. Nothing we've done, nothing to earn it, nothing we can do that can lose it. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. I think increasingly we become somewhat of a merciless society today in so many ways. Our hurts and our pains have made us merciless towards others who in some cases aren't even deserving of the hurts we level on them. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. In transgressions, It is by grace you've been saved. It is by grace you've been saved. There is forgiveness for you. You may not find forgiveness from other people. Your spouse may not forgive you if you've wronged uh, him or her. Uh, your children may not forgive you. Your coworkers may not forgive you. You may not even be able to forgive yourself. But for you, there is forgiveness for those who avail themselves that will wait upon the Lord, that will cry out to him and ask for his mercy. There is one who will, and that one is God. And if you want to write something down and, and post it on your website or your, your Facebook account or whatever, or you want to put it on the, like in the old days, put it on your uh, um, refrigerator if there's one phrase that you want to write down on the walls of your heart today, it is this. Our God is a forgiving God. He's also a God of justice. That's another subject, another issue. But our God is a forgiving God. And when God once speaks forgiveness, it can never be unspoken. Fear and doubt and misgiving can question that, but it cannot revoke it, as one commentator put. The word rendering, rendered forgiveness in the original language literally means cutting off. And so it suggests kind of like the merciful surgery or the cutting out of a cancer, something that would ultimately kill you. And this forgiveness is a literally cutting out of those items and casting them from our lives. One writer of years past, Spurgeon, said this, It may be that you have sinned many times and grievously, but there is forgiveness. Though a child of God, you have gone far astray from him, but there is forgiveness. You have backslidden sadly and horribly, but there is forgiveness. The devil comes and howls at you and tells you that your doom is sealed and your damnation is sure, but there is forgiveness. Oh, blessed sentence, Spurgeon said in commenting on this. There's forgiveness so great from God enough to actually frighten us. Another writer of years past in the 1600s, George Swinnick said, The hammer of the law may break the icy heart of man with terrors and horrors, and yet it may remain ice still, unchanged, but when the fire of love kindly thaws its ice, it is changed and dissolved into water. It is no longer ice, 
but of another nature. The law can only control and dictate at times or outside, but it doesn't change the man within. I've said many times to you know, the kid who's, who's standing and the mother says, You'll sit down, and no, I won't sit down, sit down, no, I won't sit down, sit down, no, you won't sit down. And then she goes and forces the kid to sit down. She says, you're sitting down now. And he says, yes, but I'm still standing on the inside. There's something that, that, that remains unchanged in us unless the heart is changed. And God's grace, his forgiveness is available to those who cry out of the depths for mercy, and it changes and transforms us. Going on in this next section, um, the writer is saying, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And there's a theme in this, in this thing of not just forgiveness and repentance, not just crying out from the depths, but this idea of waiting. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Did the guy stutter here? What's going on? There's, it's repeated twice. More than the watchmen wait for the morning. And this waiting was not passive. It wasn't inactive. There's, there's something active about it. It invokes um, the name of Yahweh in this. The covenant God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as well as Adonai, the normal name for master or lord. And so there's these both phrases coming together and, and it gives you a sense of this watchman, this century. And, and the term waiting itself uh, is drawn in the English from the term lookout or watch or sentry or watchman. And so this guy is, is, is waiting for the dawn. He's got what would refer to as the dog watch, the, the graveyard shift. He's got the, the time that's in the early hours when you're the most exhausted. It's also the most likely time when an enemy is going to attack. Is at the break of dawn or in that early morning hour when everyone is the sleepiest and, and most unprepared. And so this watchman has been faithful through the night because you can't fall asleep on watch. As a soldier, you can be shot for that. Others could be destroyed for that. And so this watchman is, is diligent, he's active, he's, he, he's alive, he's awake, he's waiting for something. What's he waiting for? Well, he's waiting for his shift to end, he's waiting for someone to come in and replace him and, and relieve him perhaps, but specifically it implies that he's waiting for the dawn, he's waiting for the morning. And so he's waiting. He's waiting for that time of relief. He's waiting for the, the light to shine in the dark and out of the depths that he's in. He's waiting. Other uh, um, people imply that it, it could have also referenced the priests who would have been waiting for the morning time to offer their prayers or their praise before God. This psalm is also referred to as one of the psalm of ascents. It would have been people who would have been ascending up to Jerusalem. Wherever you're at in Israel, you go upwards to go to Jerusalem. You ascend. And so it would have been a song of ascent, one something they would have sang as they were walking along and perhaps they got an early start and they're walking along and waiting for the dawn to break over the city. Either way, there's this sense of active waiting. I wait for the Lord. My whole being, my soul waits if there's anything that this whole season of time, folks, has been, it's been a waiting period. We're waiting to get back to work. We're waiting to get back to school. We're waiting to get back into fellowship with one another. We're waiting to be hugged. We're waiting to be touched. We're waiting to, to have a face-to-face -face contact with people. We're waiting to walk without fear. 
This has been a time of waiting. But, but this person is active and specific. They're not just waiting, frustrated, ornery, irritated. He says, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord. More than a watchman waits for the morning. And then to emphasize how profound this is and the linkage to this, more than a watchman wait for the morning. And so it's kind of like this. I'm a watchman. I'm waiting for the morning, not just for relief, but to see the sunshine. Now let me ask you this. Has there ever been a time, has there ever been a time when the sun has not come up? Has there ever been a time when a watchman waiting for the morning has not seen that morning light dawned? Of course not. With the writer of this psalm, out of his depths of his difficulty in the midst of his sin in finding the forgiveness from God, is he's looking here and waiting for the morning like a watchman would be waiting for it. In other words, I'm, I'm waiting, but not, not without any hope, not without any anticipation, not just like hanging out. I'm waiting for the morning, and as sure as the sun is going to rise, God is going to rescue me. With as much confidence and, and hope and faith that I have that the sun is going to dawn and the night will end, I have faith that God is going to rescue me. More than watchmen wait for that well-known morning. More than any watchman could possibly wait for something they know is going to happen. I know that God is going to rescue me. And I'm waiting for that. I'm waiting for that intimacy. I'm waiting for that time to be with God, not just forgiveness, but to have that intimacy and that closeness once again and to walk with him once again. To hear his voice, to sense his presence. I'm not seeking the water that comes from the well. I'm seeking the well itself. I'm not seeking his hand. I'm seeking his face. I have a desire for that and I will wait until that presence is here. He concludes this psalm by now going global with it. The writer has found uh, himself in the midst of this. He has is, is found himself anticipating God's grace. He sees his faithfulness and his forgiveness and his mercy. And now he goes global. And he says, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. Today we could say, America, put your hope in the Lord. Today we could say, Rock Point, Put your hope in the Lord. As sure as the sun comes up, that hope will be satisfied and fulfilled. For with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. I'll be honest, folks. We have a very sin-filled world today as a country. We see the outworkings of that sin exploding across the country right now. And while much of that is possibly the, the energy of the pandemic unleashed finally, there's also rank injustice, genuine heartache and pain, the results of sin that are bursting across this country even now. And increasingly, people are trying to look to their own tribe or to an authority figure or, or to the strong man in our midst or maybe even just pulling back and depending only on themselves and rejecting all others. But the writer of the psalm says, out of the depths, cry out to God. Whatever your sin is, there can be forgiveness in that. 
Wait for him. Watch for him. As sure as the sun is coming, he will provide. Put your hope in the Lord. With the Lord is unfailing love. With him is full redemption. He himself will redeem. And he's the only one that can redeem this country from all their sins. From all the sins of white people, all the sins of black people, all the sins of those in authority, all of the sins of those who are oppressed. And that's not to say there's good people on both sides, because there's not always is. But all of us have sinned and fallen short of that glory. He's not just a God of love and grace and forgiveness. He's also a God of justice. And there are certain actions that cry out for justice. And God is in the midst of the meeting out of that justice. Those cries come to him as well. What God had demonstrated in the private life of this writer, he's saying will also, God will also perform for the community that cries out to him. As a community, can we, could we cry out to God in this time right now? There's so much frustration, so much anger, so much injustice, and so much just flat-out ugliness taking place. Without being quick to judge or, to, or to, to be harsh about it, can we instead fall on our knees and realize that we ourselves are sinners in this and say, God, save this nation, save us. This writer, even though he starts out in this dark place, Nothing could be further from the shut-in gloom and uncertainty of the depths than this. The singer is now liberated from himself to turn to his people and hold out the hopes for a better future. He doesn't find this in himself. He doesn't find this in um, the writings of others. He doesn't find this in the politics of the time. He finds this in God. This psalm was read particularly in times of communal distress. From people who found themselves in the depths, John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, attended a service at St. Paul's Cathedral in London, and it was at the course of that time that he was there that the 130th Psalm was sung as an anthem, and he was deeply moved by this, and it became one of the means by which God used to open his heart up to his truth and used him to reach so many other people. Martin Luther, the original, back in the 1500s, was so caught up with his own sin and so caught up with this disturbance. And one writer, one friend of his one time says, do you believe in the creed? He says, yes. Then remember the line that says, I believe in the forgiveness of sin. And Martin was comforted on that. He wrote his own hymn based on this psalm. Therefore, I will hope in God and not rely on my merit. I shall abandon my heart to him and trust in his goodness, which his worthy word has promised me. That is my comfort and treasure for which I shall wait always. And in this line, when my troubles like chains link one misfortune to another, when my troubles like chains link one misfortune to another, then my Savior will rescue me so that all suddenly falls for me. How soon the morning of comfort appears after this night of anguish and worry. Although the sins among us are many, God has even more mercy. Johann Sebastian Bach wrote a cantata based on this psalm. 
Sometimes our troubles feel like chains, links that form one by one, ultimately to disable us and to destroy us. But God breaks those and frees us. When we read this De Profundis, this out of the depths, you can think of a Jonah being in the belly of the whale, crying out to God from the belly of that great fish after his disobedience of God to go to Nineveh. I think of John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace. He was a drunken um, pagan sailor before his conversion. He'd literally fallen into the depths of the sea at one point in time and had to be rescued, and he barely escaped death. And he titled his autobiography after he became a believer in Christ and became actually a pastor at one point in time and wrote this amazing thing, Amazing Grace. His autobiography was entitled Out of the Depths. Those who truly come to know God also know something about the depths of their sin and their guilt. If you do not know the depths of your sin and your guilt, then I would argue you truly do not know God. It was Isaiah himself, a good man of a righteous people in other people's eyes who suddenly experiences God in the sixth chapter of Isaiah. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And in encountering this holiness of God, and the fullness of his glory, he goes on and he says, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the glory of God. At that moment, Isaiah was in the depths. When we encounter our sin and the greatness of our failings, we encounter God, those things become so clear and so obvious that they overwhelm us, they can dismantle us, they can destroy us if left unchecked without any hope. C.S. Lewis said, when a man is getting better, he understands more and more clearly the evil that is still in him. That sounds weird. Listen, when a man is getting better, he understands more and more clearly the evil that is still in him. When a man is getting worse, he understands his own badness less and less and less. Everyone prays but very few people cry. We offer our prayers like a Pharisee in the, in the tabernacle, in the temple. Very few of us are like the tax collector in the corner, crying out to God. Very few of us have, have really encountered God enough to know the depths of our own sin and our own failings. Increasingly, I'm drawn to those who are very conscious of that, not to stay broken, not to stay dismantled, not to stay destroyed by that, but those who would read this psalm and actually have it have meaning in their lives. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. I'm so conscious of the place I've arrived at. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to me. I don't just pray to you. I cry for mercy. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who amongst us could stand? We would all fall if you were just recording everything to bring judgment to us. I know you know everything, but you don't do it in order to bring just judgment to us. And then this huge but, if you will. But with you there is forgiveness. Write it all on the, on the, on the, on the walls of your heart. Our God is a forgiving God. With you there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, even fear, we are so awed by your grace that we can serve you. And then it comes to this point, I wait 
for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in this word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. I look for that sun because I know it's going to rise. And then finally, the call out to the entire community. Israel. America. Put your hope in the Lord. Do not trust in horses or chariots. Do not trust in politicians or other people. Do not trust in yourself. Put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love. And with Him is full redemption. He Himself will redeem this country. And frankly, folks, He's the only one that can. So if you find yourself disheartened by this time, wait on the Lord. If you find yourself overcome with your own failing and your own weakness and sin, then all that means is that you have encountered God. And realize that although your sin may be great, that we have a God who forgives. Don't stay in those depths. Come out and meet the God of mercy and grace. Lord, in this season, we lift up this nation to you. Father, we see the obscene injustice that exists, and we pray, Lord, that you would heal us those lines that divide us by class and by race and by politics, by education, by intellect, by all the different things that divide. Only your grace, only your healing, only your mercy can heal us as a nation. And so we pray for this nation right now, God. And we, we, we are active in our waiting. We're not just sitting passively. We will act out in ways that are proper and appropriate as we wait for you. But beyond this nation, Lord, we wait in ourselves for your grace. We have encountered you, and we are awed by your holiness and broken by our own failings. Shattered, Lord God. We are watchmen now. We are, we are active. We are waiting. We're ready for you, Lord God, and as sure as the sun's going to come up, we believe in your mercy and grace, and we look to you, Lord God, right now, for your presence, for your hope, for your mercy. We come before you by the power, the grace, and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. This stands separate from the message today, but this morning I pray for the family of George Floyd and for the gross injustice that has been perpetrated upon that family. I also pray for all the courageous, faithful officers who serve their communities with honor and dignity and have been endangered by the action of this individual. We also pray for um, all those who feel the depths of the pain 
and the heartache and the genuine oppression that they have to deal with on a daily basis. Let this psalm today be a cry for our community for peace and to find our hope ultimately in God's grace and forgiveness. Lord, all of us deal with such a dark, dark element of sin. And when we encounter you, we are broken. But Lord, in that brokenness, we find a healing and a restoration unlike anything else in this entire universe. Gather us as your people, Lord, even as we seek your face and even as we wait on you. God, guide us as we look to the next several weeks and how we can begin to meet and gather and guide us, Lord, in that so that we would be wise in what we do. Let us think twice about what we post, what arguments we enter into, and instead let us wait, not passively, but actively for your grace and for your guidance, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.